Welcome to the Plain Sight podcast hosted by Invisible. Invisible Technologies is a fascinating company. Uh, we essentially make complex business problems disappear. So we partner with you, we figure out what your operations are, we figure out what your processes are, we figure out what your team doesn't like to do, and we basically do that better, faster, cheaper. Uh, but this isn't specifically about what we do, it's also the philosophy behind why we do it. So this show really gets into what makes Invisible tick. Uh, who are the key players at Invisible? Who are the key players outside of Invisible who enjoy our work? Um, what are all the things that are going on inside of Invisible? What a podcast does, it allows you to find out things that you normally wouldn't be able to find out. So it's like a fireside chat that's basically decentralized and anybody can listen to it at all times. So we really invite you to uh, listen and subscribe if you really like these episodes. And as always, you can reach out to anybody on the Invisible team. Uh, our website is invisible.co uh, and we're happy to have you here. Welcome to the Plain Sight Podcast. My guest today is JP Biondi. He is the VP of Operations at Invisible Technologies and welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. It's always a lot of fun to do these, so appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. We can talk a lot about uh, the marketplace you're building. I know you've had a lot of experience building other marketplaces. I've had experience building marketplaces and startups in the past. It's a wildly difficult thing, uh, but you kind of have a, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just my impression, but you have an easier version of it because you already have the supply and demand all in-house. It's not like consumers, which are just like uh, uh, ruthless in terms of their attention. Uh, everybody's everybody's uh, everybody's already bought into the invisible thing. So is that an accurate representation of, of your experience? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, certainly the demand is harder for us to get. It's just a longer, you know, it's good through a longer sales cycle on that front. But I think, you know, we have strong sales teams doing a lot of that work and certainly BD and all that outbound, outbound motion, as well as, you know, certainly all the networks and connections of the folks that work at Invisible. I think also the other side is that we have a really strong agent network to date. And that just sort of reinforces itself. And so certainly people here, we have stickiness to the work we're doing. You can work remote. So there's a lot of advantages that enable us to scale up our supply quite quickly in terms of the agent workforce and kind of getting them, getting specialized in certain areas because of the platform we've built, which is really exciting. And now it's just kind of a matter of like, I think sort of like shaping a lot of our, being a bit more deliberate perhaps of like how we want to do this and like really kind of shaping the product around what our customers on each side of that need. So, you know, I think it's about kind of thinking about our agents a bit as a customer as they are and starting to build products and services to better support their needs in our platform as we begin to really mature and continue to scale that side of the business. That's so cool. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty somewhat familiar with it. Uh, what are the main challenges associated with building marketplaces? I think the, you know, the first basis you'd hear in a lot, you know, if you read through a lot of the press and kind of experience it, certainly is figuring out what is like the harder side of your platform that maybe you need to subsidize or to build up. And so certainly in some cases, you know, for us, certainly the harder side to our platform and our kind of marketplace in a sense is definitely the demand, right? So we need to be much more deliberate and understand those sales cycles. How does that work? And really focus a lot of our work there. And I think, you know, certainly the team is doing that both from a, a product standpoint, operationally, certainly, and then also, of course, from a BD and sales perspective. And then on the other side, you know, is the the sort of just the challenge of like knowing how do you best service both sides of that platform, right? That's the other challenge of like understanding the nuances of what are they looking for and why would they come here and why would they stay here? Uh, you know, outside of, of course, there's the transactional aspect that's certainly important, 
but what else is it that they are coming to our platform to do? Or is there any sort of this kind of maybe an intrinsic piece versus just extrinsic rewards? And like, how are we supporting that? And I think then the other side is understanding there's a lot of really great literature out there just about sort of the all the network effects and what those are. And I think it's understanding where where you play and maybe where you want to build defensibility within that to actually really kind of keep your marketplace going, build that moat around it to a degree, if you will, and understand what those mechanics are in your marketplace to pull the levers that are out there. I, you know, these these things are not new. Marketplace has been around forever. And certainly over, you know, the past decades, we've had a lot of people build enormous companies with a ton of learnings out there. And we just need to leverage those and test them and play with them to have our hypothesis and learn it and see what works best for our marketplace. That's very cool. And I love the fact that you came from Blips and and helped with the the, the marketplace there because the, the lifted such interesting stuff with that sort of not it's it's like the um intrinsic motivations and the uh intangible intangible things like i know that lyft was much more focused on really giving a good experience to their drivers and making that such an important part and so i love that you're 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 now with us doing that for the agents too because the agents are i've I've met so many of them now in argentina and they're so interesting they're so smart uh they're so like uh and so it's really cool and beautiful to offer up an experience uh, that will facilitate I guess not necessarily easier work, but facilitate more flow in their lives. Is that is that an accurate representation of what a market what a, what we're aiming to do with the marketplace? I guess that's we could turn that que- into a question. What are we trying to do with the marketplace? I think it's fair to say that. I think it's fair to say that we want you know there, there's multiple reasons people might come to Invisible to do work as an agent. I think you're going to certainly have this spectrum of people who are perhaps some are going to be far more engaged than others. Some will probably just want to come here for a transactional relationship, and that's okay. You know, we need those people just as much as we need people who are here to really build their careers and participate heavily in community, show up, you know, at a, at a, at a meeting in, in Buenos Aires, where you are, right? Like, there are people who will do that. There are people who are going to raise their hand and say, I want to help lead that. And that's how invested I am in the community versus somebody who's like, you know, I need a paycheck every week because maybe I'm going to university and it's going to supplement my income and pay my rent and great. So I think we need to kind of service that broad spectrum of things and understand what it is people are coming here for and give people the option to, I guess, opt in or out however they wish into this environment. And, you know, we should be servicing the the table stakes, of course, which is you come here to do work and earn money. That is table stakes and has to be an amazing experience for somebody. And then simultaneously, how do we really facilitate the community aspect to keep people engaged that they are part of something big and that this is a global community in essence of agents and we want them to participate in a bigger way. And I think that's really exciting. I think that's something that creates a lot of retention and stickiness for this platform and for our our agent group in that they know, well, I can also meet people in my neighborhood. I think, you know, we're seeing in some markets where people are getting together over coffees and, um, you know, working together because we work remote. So great, bring your computer to a coffee shop and do some work together and get to know somebody in your community. I think there was a really great one we saw recently where it was a video of the, they were just having some tea together and coffee and like they started singing and stuff. And I think that stuff's really exciting, right? That you see this kind of community that people are driving because they want that. And I think there's this identity that, hey, I work with Invisible. Because I work with Invisible, 
you do, we should connect and we should talk. And I think that's great. And that's really something that we need to encourage and keep building. And then there's the other table stakes stuff is, yeah, you need to be able to open up our platform and get access to work very quickly, very seamlessly, making sure that all of our, you know, obviously all the, you're getting paid for that in a proper way, seamlessly, quickly, et cetera. Like that's there. And that's, you know, obviously we have people working to always make that experience better and more seamless and fluid for them. And then having the optionality for people. I think that right now people will come in and they will work on a process for a time because they saw maybe and maybe a AI kind of training ad out there where said, hey, we need these people to do this specific process. But once they come into our ecosystem and our world, I want them to see everything and go, oh, I've been doing this AIT thing for a couple of months now. Oh, you're working over here on like, uh, you know, this, this other completely interesting fintech client. Um, great. Yeah, maybe I want to do that too. And they should have that that flexibility and that that freedom of movement, if you will, within our our ecosystem. This is really interesting and gets into what I've been doing in terms of knowledge management um, and creating a map of the organization. You know, if you if you talk to 15 different knowledge management professionals, you'll get 25 different answers when you ask them what do knowledge managers do. Uh, and, um, and so there's, there's not a lot of clarity within even the community about what exactly knowledge management does, but my take on it is that it essentially takes the picture of the company as it is today, takes a picture of the company as it is in the future and takes a picture of as it was in the past. And then moving from the current to the future, learning from the past uh, and doing decision support about making better decisions that will lead to better outcomes in the future. And mm -hmm. then also mapping the, the, the company itself from the leadership to the middle management to the individual contributors as well, and making sure that knowledge is flowing between those things. And then there's also the, like specifically the second brain of an organization. How do you capture these things? Uh, and as you were talking about this marketplace and coming in to do AI training and then seeing like, it's the same exact thing that brought brought me into Invisible when I started to, um, you know, see Francis's post on LinkedIn and and you know I had seen I had known Francis for for a while, but when he had started his first company Everest and and so and then he started posting about this 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 magic wand kept talking about this magic wand of technology. I was like, what the put on there? Uh, okay. And it like drew me in, and now I'm serving a similar role with these podcasts. I know other people are being drawn in through this through this podcast, and then. Uh, from the agent level as well, they're also being drawn in with the specific work that they're doing. Right. And so it's just so like the idea of map building is so interesting to me. And I would love to once I and I want to I want to pitch Cosmos, this new business unit that I'm working on to you and get your uncensored feedback, even though we're recording uh, <laughs> possible. Uh, uh, so but but and, and the mapping will come into it as well. in, in that conversation about about that. But I, I once I get my first external customer for Cosmos and really validate that we're doing something really specifically, a large part of our ability to deliver value to companies will be in map building. And that can mm -hmm. be either abstract map building um, or like, you know, like not specific physical maps, but I actually keep on getting the idea like, well, let's actually build a like a not a physical map, although we could do that as well and send it to people all over the world. Or we could uh, do a, a virtual map inside of Notion or even our own platform. Any thoughts on that that map building and how it could fit into operations in this marketplace they're talking about? Yeah, I think you could probably start to build that out, you know, and, and this is something we're thinking about and kind of executing on, which is the idea of, of skills, right? And how do we map skills and map those skills towards processes? And I think that kind of goes two ways in terms of we, we obviously have 
our clients today and, and they have processes that we, we operate and those processes require certain skill sets. And so that's kind of the, the sort of demand pull, I guess you could say at this point where we know we need those skills. So we have to go out to our agent team, our agent side of the market and get those skills or at least validate them and start to classify them from an agent standpoint, which means either, you know, taking training and maybe a test or something to kind of validate those through that type of work and then actually doing the work on the process to further validate that and say, oh, yeah, we know this person's really good at this. And I think that's one kind of the demand side of that. The other side is to start to really understand and map out in our current agent workforce, what are the skills that maybe people actually have that we don't know about? And then use those to go pull in the demand and say, hey, actually, we actually have this like cohort of, you know, a couple hundred people who really know X and they're very good at it. We validated this through testing and said, okay, let's go build a practice around perhaps that skill set and see if we can do that. And I think that's one mapping that we've begun to, to take on. You know, certainly Sam and the, the learning and development team has done that. And they're beginning to kind of build trainings out around that to, to better validate it and kind of verify across our agent uh, community what's going on. That brings to mind this, this specific podcast too, because that's one thing either in the meetings that I've had with agents down here in Buenos Aires and finding out about who they are and, you know, their musicians and all these different things that, and this podcast too could maybe surface a lot of those skills as well, because I'm definitely interviewing a lot of agents. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. This feels like a good time to kind of start the, to pitch on Cosmos and get your, your feedback on Cosmos. <laughs> are you, are you aware of the infinity business units? Actually, I would love to understand your, your understanding as it is right now of the infinity business units and where they fit into invisible. Absolutely. Yeah. So thus far, my understanding is that we were taking kind of some of the pieces that we see as core to what's helped to build invisible to a degree as a kind of core business and starting to say, maybe these are things that actually could be services and offerings to an external audience. So I know on the community side, how do we kind of build, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess, instead of this idea of community as a service, for example, are we starting to build that out and say, okay, can we take that to market and, and help other companies who are saying, how do I build a community, leverage our learnings in, to do that as a service. So I think that's really interesting. And then on the other side, using the, our automation tools, certainly for, um, you know, uh, assistance and things of that nature. So that's my understanding of it. Um, obviously, you can correct me where I'm not getting that right. <laughs> yes. um, and it was a sneaky question because, you know, it's like this is one of the interesting things about doing this is that Invisible is just like a rocket ship right now. And rocket ships mm -hmm. require all 100% attention. And so it, it, uh, it, it, the, the kind of red teaming thing and this idea that, you know, like questioning what we're doing, it's a valid argument that we may be distracting from, from that rocket ship. I personally am very bought into it and I love Invisible mm -hmm. and I want to support Invisible and Invisible is my first customer. Uh, and so if anybody's listening to this episode and they want to understand more about Infinity, I'll give a little rundown. And actually what you said was, was, was spot on. Um, there, there are a bunch of episodes I've been doing, uh, the physics of, of business innovation with, uh, Francis is the one you want to check out to understand why we're doing this. We're trying to get this, we're trying to come up with a holistic solution to the innovators dilemma. Uh, so as I mentioned, invisible is a rocket ship. And once it gets to a rocket ship, it's eventually going to, you know, once it gets outside the orbit, uh, in this metaphor and it becomes a space station a giant large space station that's hard to move and it's just like, it's just gonna keep on going in its direction. And that's what's called the innovator's dilemma because that spaceship is not nimble anymore. 
And so what we want to do while we're building the spaceship is we also want to build several other uh, spaceships. Um, and these are these other different business units. And then each of these different business units will solve a problem that Invisible is facing and then take it out and then sell it to the external market to validate that that is actually a real problem that we can solve for other people. And then once we've validated that market, uh, we can then come back to Invisible and service Invisible as a sort of embedded consultant inside of this, inside of this large organization. Because one of the main problems that I've noticed at Invisible, part of the reason why I joined Invisible was because I, I saw that they had this beautiful ability to automate repetitive work, the combination of humans and machines. And I was like, I want that for myself. And then I got to Invisible and I realized that they were so focused on their customers that they're not able to give it to themselves. And so this is a sneaky way to bring that back in. And this brings to mind Cosmos, the specific business unit that I'm starting, uh, which is basically organization as a service. Uh, so in the same way that Invisible does operations as a service, we're going to do organization as a service. And I know from our talk when we first met, you're very familiar with this, this specific problem. But the idea is that when you're a company of 15 to 20 people, there are some knowledge management problems. You know, if somebody leaves, like a CTO leaves, then, you know, all of their job, all of the things that were stuck inside of their head leaves with them as well. But this problem really starts to show up once you're at about 150 people, when you reach that limit of your ability to map out the entire organization and know people face to face and new people are joining all the time. At that point, that's where knowledge management really becomes important. And so what we're going to do is basically offer our organization as a service to hyper-growth companies. Um, and I can, I'll stop there for a moment just to answer any questions and I can keep on going if there, are, if there aren't any. No, I don't have any questions at the moment. Yeah, keep going. I'd love to hear sort of like how you're bringing the vision to life and what you're thinking about it. Yep. And so, uh, so right now, so we've been serving finance. So we've been going into finance for the past uh, 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 four months, four or five months, and really focusing on this problem of organization as a service. The original idea came from when uh, Francis and Cam had this folder inside of the organization that was totally disorganized. Uh, and then Francis had to spend like three or four or five hours going through it, setting up the folders, setting up the files. And he's like, oh man, I wish I had the business that I could do, that could do this for me. I don't want to do this. And so the idea is that anybody can send us our folders, our files, and their software systems basically organized for them. And so, um, so that, that was the original idea. And then back in June, 2023, I was starting to work specifically with finance. I started first with the, before you got here, with the whole entire organization and everybody was sending me stuff and it was totally overwhelming. I had no, no, no way to do it. Uh, you know, this new idea that nobody had ever done before. And I was like, yeah, just give it to me. And I was just like, it's too much. And so we, we narrowed it down on finance. Uh, and then specifically got to this problem. And I realized when you try to organize other people's work, it requires so much context. Like I need yeah. to know their jobs better than they do um, in order to organize. And like to do that at, at such a fine level is very, very challenging. So I realized that I didn't, I, I, I couldn't do that immediately off the bat. And so I had to build these relationships. And that's actually where the podcast comes in. Um, uh, and I'll actually be offering podcasting as a service to different companies. Um, uh, uh, and so with the podcast, we can essentially map the entire organization, have, have conversations like these, understand more about what exactly the marketplace is, you know, fit it in with all the other things that are going on in Visible and let the audience also do that. Huge amount of the audience listening to this podcast are agents. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, so I had to get to know them. And then I started to do digital or digital therapy sessions, uh, where I sat down with them, you know, and, and did like, well, 
where is this policy? Where is this policy written right now? Oh, it's on Slack. And so do you have like a formal, a formal policy that you send on Slack? No, I just answer the questions as they are. And so what are the questions that they continue asking? And then we put all of that on Notion and started developing policy guidelines. Um, and then now, finally, in the last month, I've finally gotten to that original idea. Uh, they can send me whatever they want to send me. So we, we're, we moved from Notion to ClickUp for our, um, for our task management. And so instead of them going to learn the new software and you know, going through all the cognitive challenge, you know, they're focused on their jobs. They don't want to do all that stuff. They have it all in sheets. And so they just sent me the sheet. And then I went and started doing it for them. Um, and so right now, now it's crystal clear, all these different stages for me, which I'm really excited about because it was, it was uncertain for a while. Um, but now we've got it now. Now we're looking to, to start um, servicing external customers. Um, and the way that we want to do that is we want to uh, uh, start with podcasting as a service. So a, a lot of people, a lot of founders that I know have come to me and wants to do podcast episodes for marketing. Most company thinks, thinks about podcasting as a marketing thing. And it is good for that, but it takes a lot longer for that to actually work. Um, mm. And the real reason you want a podcast is in a remote team is for management purposes. So a, you can manage by podcast, either video or audio podcast, and it can be internal. Um, uh, uh, knowledge management, what the way that mm -hmm. I mean is to like discover all these things about this large machine that's like, you know, really to map and mapping out with those things. Um, and then... Um, Culture, building culture and building the mythos of the organization and really sharing like, you know, like real people who are working at the organization, those, those types of different things. And so we'll get our foot in the door with the podcast um, and then, and then start that, start that relationship. And over time will become more and more valuable the more that they send us these files. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and I think it's an interesting one, right? Because it's sort of this, as you, as you spin up a startup in a sense and kind of move forward. It's just this like execution mode and you're, you're not perhaps thinking always about the foundations of what you should be doing when you get to scale or, you know, as you, as you progress on that, add more people. And then you get into obviously the coordination costs as you, as you build that up. And I think it's interesting to come in and you, you know, you, you see a lot of those coordination costs and all that stuff and that, that missing being filled in with meetings. And I think the signal of that is then suddenly people are saying, I have too many meetings on my calendar. And it's like, well, why do you have so many meetings? It's like, well, I just need to get this information because you're clearly not getting it from an async standpoint or it's living in the ether somewhere. You don't know where it is and how to get it. Yes. And there's like culture of like clearly documenting and writing these down and saying, cool, it's going to live in X place. And I think the the kind of irony to a lot of that is like, so I, I, I'm a fan of um, like getting things done, right? And sort of the idea there of this kind of like top level idea of saying, well, if you actually get all this stuff out of your head, you have actually more room for creativity because you know it's like safe and it's documented there and you can actually just execute it. And it's kind of funny because it's like, well, that's the organization. Like if you have that organization, you actually could be more creative to be more entrepreneurial. And, you know, but I think there's that balance of not wanting to hold somebody back. It's like, how do you build a structure that's like organized enough and well enough, but it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to hamper any of that creativity, which they need to execute to move forward. But it definitely does allow people to be more autonomous and go forward because they know how to access information. Mm -hmm. You know, and certainly one of the things I noticed coming here was was this similar problem we started doing on my team, which was, hey, where do I find all of this stuff? And to your point, it was living across Slack, across email, across G Drive, in people's heads. You know, it was in random, probably random Word docs or something sitting where who knows where it was. Uh, and it was about how do we how do we organize that? It was like, okay. 
first project, I need you to put this into a folder structure and let's agree on what that structure looks like. And let's let's start to, you know, migrate everything in here over the next month or so so we can we can know where to access this information. And then just a large part of that was just for my own edification because I needed to onboard and learn. And I couldn't do that effectively by consistently saying, hey, go like, where do I find this? Where is this? You know, <laughs> it's interesting. So, now, this, this feels like a prime moment to understand from you what you did. Is it working now? What and specifically, what was the folder structure? Because this is something I've been very interested in. I know finance has a specific folder structure. They're they're actually relatively organized in the Google Drive, uh, right. but they're not. It wasn't reflected in all these different places. So I'm really starting to get a much better intuition of what these folder structure looks like. And I'm I'm so curious uh, how your folder structure looks like and what you guys settled on. Yeah, I think that you know we're we deliver you know we're delivery to our our clients, right? So certainly the natural structure there is by client. And, you know, certainly the higher level is kind of our vertical when it's broken by client. And then within that, we have it a few things. So we have we have one is like just a, you know, finance folder, certainly all the finances associated with that client. And then we have just like kind of team and strategy pieces to it who are our core stakeholders, you know, what's the strategy for the account? Where are we going? QBRs, MBRs, et cetera. And then we have by process level as well. So in terms of what are the explicit, like what are, what are the processes that we are running for this client? And within there, we can then build a subfolder of kind of each process and all the relevant information. And some of these have, you know, this is like the, the rough higher level structure. Certainly some of these are a little more nuanced because of the documentation we have. There's obviously relationships between each of these as well. It's not, they don't live in, in a silo with a client, but the first bucket is the client. And that's to allow us to start there and get, get a clear sort of, you know, one pager on who are they, what do they do, where are they going, who are the key stakeholders, you know, history of the account, what work do we do with them, and so on, and what does that team look like? And then you're able to kind of go in and, and get deeper into the nitty-gritty if you want. But at least it allows us to start at a place to say, okay, now I have this, like, top-level view of a client. I can get there, and then I can start to unpack what that looks like at a process level. And then I can go in if I want to and go deeper and go understand that process and that status. It's still, I would say in terms of getting there, uh, it's a work in progress. We've got one client that is certainly one client is more organized in that structure than one versus the other. And I think it's just taken time to really get all of the documents across the board. So it's certainly a, a work in progress across the board. You know, I hope to get there you know, sooner than later in a fully organized structure so that when somebody onboards, we can just send them there and they can really unpack everything to do with their account fairly well as like a starting point. Um, I think the other piece that that we're working on is just sort of making sure it's it's ingrained in the culture a little bit. So that's the harder part. I think people, you know, we're moving fast. We have a lot of inbound and outbound stuff going on and it becomes this extra thing. So I think from a culture and just sort of like uh, creating the space for people to do that and saying, hey, like I know right now it's going to take a little more time and I know it's that's a shortage, but once we get it done, we will be in a better place. And then that's a harder part too, particularly as you're moving fast like we are, is to get that that shift for people to do it. So it's certainly a work in progress, but we will we will keep prioritizing it. So well, and that specific thing you mentioned of like, well, I don't have time to do it. That's that's the hope. That's the dream that Cosmos plugs directly into that because particularly for operations with it's so much so urgent. Um, uh, is like, is that in, it, organization's really important. It will become urgent in the future. Once you, mm -hmm. lose, once you lose that document you're looking for, then that sense of urgency comes up. 
uh, but it's not urgent right now. Uh, and so yeah. the idea is, is that Cosmos can take care of it. Just send it to us and we'll, we'll organize it. Send us your, your folder structure. But then the challenge comes is like, how do we actually get that context um, on the day-to-day work that you're doing, um, which is a wildly interesting uh, problem of how to get that context without demanding that same level of time that they would take in order to organize it themselves. Yeah, yeah. it's like that, that buy-in a little bit too of just saying, look, I mean, at this point, you know, fundamentally, we have a key man risk across that where it's, it's, it's if one person decides to leave or you know whatever it may be uh yeah we're it'd be tough like we'd have to you know it's there we just have to piece it together but there'd certainly be a short gap of like okay what are, how are we going to going to go and like bridge that gap to make sure we we retain all the knowledge number one and then whatever that you know we all obviously build knowledge that's you know just in our heads around the work we do as we get better and better and better at it you're never going to fill that gap but you know, how do we ensure at least we're getting the core stuff that we need to operate all these pieces down on paper in a structured way so that we can, you know, limit that risk as much as possible. And mm-hmm. I think that's the challenge too. Um, one of the ways that I was thinking about solving that specific challenge is to do little trainings with people as they're getting ready to go out of office. Uh, the out of office as, and I know Invisible is pretty good at this. A lot of people at operations are pretty good at this already. They, you know, they start preparing to go out of office. They talk to all the right people and they get all their folders and stuff like that. And it feels like that point, that's the, like the most intuitive, obvious, easiest way that I can plug in, um, to be a part of that process. I still haven't tried that. Not many people, although Caroline is leaving. I wonder if uh, Caroline on the finance team is, is, mm-hmm. is, 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 is leaving Invisible. I'm wondering maybe if there if there's an option for me to plug in there um but uh but yeah uh what do you think about that idea of like plugging in uh as they go out of office i think it's interesting right and i think it i think it's also maybe even ahead of that as a way to encourage people to go out of office right i always you know i've always found it quite interesting you know that if you think about companies like ernst and young and these types of companies who when they're coming in and auditing auditing teams and auditing companies, quite often they they usually will look to people who don't go out of office for fraud. <laughs> like, it's generally because they're sticking around to cover up the fraud they're probably committing, uh, which is super interesting. And so I always tend to go, "You haven't been out of office in, in a year. What's up?" And if not, just be a little. I'm kidding. I don't think that's the case. I mean, but. It always, it's just funny when that always sticks in the back of my mind where it's like, oh, interesting. Because when I learned that, I was like, oh, that's, that actually makes a lot of sense. And if they're out of office, they can't continue to like be like, oh, paper over whatever's happening. Uh, but anyways, I think that's a total aside. <laughs> but well, like, and well, that's actually a really good point because now, well, uh, the encouragement was the really good point that that's actually the, the way I can do it is that if I can tie some sort of instru- incentive structure, the incentive being going out of office to organization, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's a new point. Yeah, because I think people feel nervous that they are that without them, this is going to fall apart. And I don't think that's true. I think as you build better management practices, the point is, is that it shouldn't fall apart because we have some redundancies built in. We have very well developed team members that can execute this work and that you should feel comfortable doing that. It's important to take vacation. It is critical to your mental health and to just like you're saying, well, it's your mental health, obviously, but like. It's just important. And I think it's also important, you know, for us to model that behavior to all of our team members that, yes, we are in a fast paced, intense environment. Yeah. This is true. We are building. It's hard to do to do this, but it's still important to take your time. Very important. 
critical oh. to do that. So sometimes people may not feel they can pull all that together and that if they're going to take a vacation, then perhaps it'll add more work to get ready for vacation. Mm -hmm. uh, and they shouldn't feel that way. They should feel that, hey, everything's organized. Actually, I can just take a day off or take a week off or two weeks or whatever it may be. Yeah, and I always think to back to those those the, I don't know those like those listicle articles maybe from 2010 where 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 a CEO would get a viral post about being like I left my business for, on a sailboat for six months and uh, I didn't have to worry one bit because I had planned my succession and everything like that. When I came back, it was perfect. It was better run than I when I started. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that is like a, like an illusion, but uh, but uh, but uh, that would, that would be fun to do it. But I do actually think that that like vacation is important both for that leaving aspect, for that making sure that the business is not codependent with me um, and that is actually interdependent. Um, uh, and I know that codependency is an interesting psychological thing because a lot of business owners really feel that codependency. It's like, no, I feel important because if I weren't here, uh, everything would, would blow up. Um, uh, and, and, and to actually switch that around and be like, well, no, this is a business that, that I'm, I'm helping this business, but this business should be able to run on its own because it's a machine. You know, we built yeah. this, this corporation that can, is, can, can be a machine. It's filled with human beings, with human humanity and stuff, but the, the, the fundamentals of it, the mechanics of it is a machine like thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's it. If you get a good operating cadence in place and you really figure out how to build that and set that system up. You know, I think certainly earlier days with the company, yeah, the founders are critical because they are the company and they are the sales team, they are the development team, et cetera, et cetera. But as you scale it and grow, yeah, that should shift. That mentality should shift and you have to mature into a different type of operator, a different type of entrepreneur, whatever you want to call that. And that, that's, that's change. That's a shift people have to make, I think, mentally and then certainly through their actions. And sometimes like, Sometimes maybe going on vacation could actually uncover a lot of stuff and be like, hey, uh, while I was out, all this happened. Okay, why? Why did that happen? How do we how do we change that so we can fix it and make it better for the future? Um, so now I would love to turn to just like specific business development advice, because I know you've been in the startup world uh, and uh, Serana had actually mentioned that you'd be good to talk to it. And I love the fact that you're you're being open about this and we can do this on a podcast. I love to build in, in public, uh, but I'm finding my first external customer right now for Cosmos. Um, and so the way that I'm thinking about doing it is it's a tech enabled services. So I've been studying the history of Invisible. Uh, Invisible is unique. It's like kind of Usain Bolt, what, what Francis and the co-founders team, they did, they they created this whole new vertical, which is tech-enabled services that hadn't really existed. Although I had read recently that Palantir was kind of something similar, maybe. Um, but uh, uh, but you know we're we're doing tech-enabled services, so Invisible's created that. It's very relationship-driven sales, and so I think that Cosmos is probably going to be a similar thing. It's probably going to be somebody either in the Invisible network or my network, mm -hmm. something already do a you know, who, who's willing to say, okay, yeah, do our podcast for 10, for 10 episodes. And then let's see whether this mapping process is really valuable and, and that type of thing. Yeah. Is it, that's, that's my basic high level business development strategy. Do you think that's, that's a good idea? I mean, yeah, well, first of all, our network is enormous, right? So yes, we should tap into our network and, you know, kind of start to you talk to people about the problems they're having in that space and how, how Cosmos can solve for that. I think that it's also important, you know, the practice side of that is just critical where you're you're kind of having, in essence, like it's more of a friendly sort of sale to degree to try and hone your pitch. And I think over conversations, you're you're going to get better and better at it in terms of what that pitch it, 
pitch is, like where it really hits home for people where it doesn't and, and how you kind of like tighten it up so that when you start to really go external from our network, you're going to be able to really like hit hit on the head in terms of what it is it's going to do. So I think that those conversations as you have them will, you know, probably will hopefully get some business for you. But I think the other side and probably more importantly, it's going to really help you to fine tune sort of your pitch, your idea. What is the business? What is the core problem you're solving? What are the, the services you're offering? And like, what are the one or two things you're really going after that you can actually really change and tweak? That's a common problem across all these businesses. So it's a really great opportunity to sort of get that kind of customer development and sort of uh, more than anything, right? I mean, that's almost more what you're doing than business development is customer development and trying to understand who they are, what their problems are, and how you're going to solve for that and how you own that pitch down to like a few points to really go to market. And then when you start moving in the other direction, saying, okay, I need to go get customers externally outside of this world. And perhaps you're going to go on LinkedIn and start to, you know, hit up people via LinkedIn. Your first outreach can be really crisp with like, this is like what we're doing and how we're thinking about the problem. We'd love to connect and talk through like, you know, maybe maybe where you see these challenges inside your organization and how do we support you here? Mm -hmm. uh, and then also on your, on all your other kind of external motions around, you know, certainly postings and ads and, and what will be helpful there. And then even the referral emails that, that this network could give you, right? I think that'll help too, where they'll start to refer you to their contacts. And I think we have several advisors in our organization who are, exceptional at that and they want to do that they've come here because they believe not only what we're doing they think it's impactful and important but because like they want to help spread and evangelize for us and i think that becomes critical too that's very cool um anything else that you've learned about customer customer development um and like the importance of customer development what to do what not to do I think there's, as you, yeah, I mean, over time, it's it's interesting around like kind of the types of questions you ask and, uh, you know, how you think about that. There's a really good book, and let me see, it was this one, um, I'll send it to you, it basically had um, mom in the title, but it was basically about customer development. Okay. And I'll say, it's like a, anyways, it's a, yeah, it's an ebook, but it's really interesting because it's kind of what it talks through is sort of this idea of like, you know, if you go to your mom with your idea, she's always going to think it's like amazing. And that's not what you want to do. And, you know, I think it goes through a lot of the the questions and how you can ask questions to be more probing versus leading. You know, it's like, I think there's always ways to ask a question to be very, very leading in that question and just get to the answer you think is right. When in reality, you're not getting anywhere. You're just getting uninteresting information or, you know, revealing your solution too quickly and then people going, oh, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I had that, but then nobody's buying it. And so it's a really good book uh, that just kind of lays out like pretty explicitly how you can develop customers in this. And it's based off of some other books as well within kind of the startup sphere about customer development. Um, you know, and I think some of these, there's like, uh, you know, it's there's one in particular that is like a large book and I can send it to you for links in it. but Basically, there's kind of these models around customer development and questions that you're asking and how you're doing that. And it's it's really, you know, been impactful for me as I think about stuff. Very cool. Okay, awesome. Well, now I think it would be fun to talk a little bit about AI. Uh, and, you know, there is this, this, this thing that we're doing at Invisible where we're trying to support our customers in helping them enable AI. And we're also doing it inside of Invisible. And so I know that you're very, very core to that process of doing this, this, uh, this AI inside of Invisible. So I'd love to get, understand how we're powered about it. 
Absolutely. I, I think it comes back to a bit of, you know, sort of we think about who we are as a company, right? And that we're, you know, as we say, we're, we're the process innovation company, right? And I think that that means, I would say, in a sense, we have an obligation to enable ourselves with AI. Like, it's not a question mark. It's like, we have to do it. If we're going to continue to innovate on processes and better support and serve our customers, that's what we need to do. And so that's what we're doing. And we're really thinking about it, taking our product, all the processes we run within, within my team and first kind of auditing those for, uh, you know, sort of where on this spectrum can we start to bring AI to bear on that process to improve it across a couple of, couple of metrics around, you know, really the average handle time, like how long does it take us to do this process? Uh, the quality, can we, can we help to improve and, and boost quality through leveraging AI? Can we do that? And then, you know, you know, that's the AHT certainly is the speed aspect. And, um, you know, that enables us to provide better offerings for our clients. And then also, how do we then layer in the QA? So I think it's still important to keep people in the process here around QA to make sure that we're, we're sampling that and providing that. I think for our agents on this, it's really interesting because it actually allows them to probably earn more money because they can process more and do more of that. And uh, that's a good thing, right? I think, you know, we certainly have like um, results kind of, you know, on a, a per piece pricing in some cases. And so in that that space, they allows them to have higher throughput and do more work on that, which they can earn more money, which I think is really exciting, right? And the initial stuff, certainly from an agent for the agent kind of community is going to be hesitancy in a lot of the AI space because, oh, are you going to reduce my my income or my work? And I think it's quite the opposite in that, to be honest, because yes. it actually allows them to be more productive and to do more and to take take away some of the work that they probably don't really enjoy doing anyways. Uh, so that's that's sort of how we're approaching it. We have certainly taken several processes that we're running today and uh, dramatically reduce the speed, uh, excuse me, increase the speed, uh -huh. uh, the average handling time, increase the speed. And it's been really impressive as to where you can leverage these tools to do very specific work. So for several of our clients, we do a lot of merchant onboarding work. So where we'll just help to onboard a merchant to their platform. And in that space, we've, we've found that through these tools, like we've actually reduced some of them by 85 to 90% in terms of um, the average handle time and really increasing speed by that, in, in, in other words. And I think that makes a lot of people, you know, certainly making our agents a bit happier in that space because they're not doing some of this work. It's taking a very long time. You know, when you're taking something that takes 90 minutes for a process, that can be very like, you know, you can really lose focus over that time period, right? And you need maybe a break. And whereas if we can reduce that to, 10, 15 minutes, well, hey, that's pretty exciting potentially. Like, and I don't know if that's the case, that's not a specific example by any means, but just kind of roughing that out. And I think that, you know, as we do these things, it's um, it's gonna be super impactful for our customers and it's gonna be impactful for our teams as well. And I was actually lucky enough to get a demo on this from one of the, one of our agents. And it, it was like, it was real. Like, like there was, it was like a, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was 75% or something like that. Like some totally ridiculous number that that would my would blow henry ford's mind away um and and uh, and so i'm that it, so when we when so we do things better faster and cheaper for our cu customers and so better would be quality q a making sure that the quality of this output is actually better from the ai uh, faster would be agent handling time and then cheaper i assume that we can also uh, lower the price as well and when we lower the price do we also like does that give us an opportunity to keep our margins uh, better as well and also lower? Can we do both of those things at the same time? Or, or are we allowed to talk about this too as well? Um, I mean, <laughs> broadly talk about it. 
so anyway, it's like, I think that uh, yes and yes, right? That yeah, we we should be certainly sending some of this value creation certainly to our clients, absolutely. And and we need to maintain that value creation within the firm as well. And I think that's important to take both sides of that, that, you know, we are doing this um, to certainly like improve our cost structure, of course, like to to improve our margins and also to go to our customers and say, hey, this is the impact of AI across the board. How do we drive up volume with you? And maybe we can do that by increasing our volume with them, uh, you know, by saying, hey, well, we could actually make this a bit cheaper for you to run this process. Can we bring in more volume because of that? And I think that's a very real conversation that we need, that we are having, we need to have. Um, but I don't think, you know, it shouldn't just be, oh, we, you know, we reduce our, our, our cost to our client, you know, in line with the reduction in, in, you know, our costs on our end. I think that's kind of the wrong way to go about it because then you're just, you're not really changing much there for the business or otherwise. And I think, you know, we do a lot of stuff around tech to build our platform. We do R&D on our end and obviously send some of that value back into our customer and into our team, into our business, excuse me. And then obviously certainly to the partners in the company and, and so on. That's super interesting. That gave me a really deep insight into, I was looking at it kind of two-dimensionally. It's like on this specific process, get it cheaper, you know, margins and all that. But what you just kind of put it out there is that, oh, in terms of the business itself, which is kind of like this giant machine that transcends any one, one of us and is like more than the sum of its parts, this machine can do better work in all of these different avenues that are unclear at the specific process level. But if you zoom out and you you say, oh, well, now we can actually do a lot more for you specifically. like, um, And so that, that builds business is, is a, that felt like a very insightful point right there. Yeah, that's the idea, right? Because I think our, our customers, and I think this is something important for us too, is that if we don't do it with AI, our customers will. Yeah. They're, go they're going to implement AI. Like every, every you know, C-suite and senior leader of these companies, our clients are having these conversations. Yeah. And we need, we need to and are proactively coming to the table and saying, we are implementing AI in your processes today. We are doing this. Mm -hmm. And it's very important for them to understand that because... If we don't proactively go to them, they're going to come and ask us at some point uh, if they have ready. Or they're going to say, hey, we implemented AI on our end and we're reducing your volume. This is now your thing. And so then suddenly it's just going to be, we're just going to lose revenue. <laughs> we're going to lose clients. Yeah. And we don't want to be in that space either, right? We don't want to get pushed out of the most common denominator. We want to be, we want to provide the value we know we can add to our clients and that we do provide. And we need to continue doing that. And that's really important. And I think that you know, we we certainly see the interest from our clients in this space and we want to be kind of thought leaders there. We are thought leaders there. If you, you look at, you know, the AIT side of our business, like we are absolutely thought leaders in this space and we can leverage that expertise for all of our clients that are non-AIT clients to, you know, better build processes and improve that. So and I think we are. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so last few minutes left, uh we could talk more about business. We could talk more about startups. We could talk about Invisible specifically and what a unique place it is to work and maybe how the, how it's different from previous places. Um, or we could just talk about like some specific people that you want to call out at Invisible uh, that may be good guests uh, for future uh, interviews. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, to the, to the latter point, there's a lot of people to be really interesting guests here. I think certainly that you can cover a wide gamut of experience and knowledge and sort of their experience here and what they're working on and how you build things. So 
that list is probably quite quite large to you. But, you know, you've had certainly several on already. I think it could get even, you know, even longer. Um, and, you know, I'll give you the list, but I think, you know, definitely, uh, obviously, you know, Lauren would be amazing on, on the podcast in terms of just her, her breadth of experience across her career and certainly the impact that she's having here and everything she's kind of handling from a problem standpoint would be really, really interesting. Um, you know, I think certainly some of our kind of, uh, you know, Jay, I don't know if Jay's been on, has he been on already? Yeah. Yeah. Interview Jay a couple weeks ago. Skip that one. Um, you know, but I think certainly all the learnings we're getting from going to market with a lot of this information. And then definitely, you know, I think on the continuing to talk through like the product aspects of how do we think about building uh, a product and services, you know, for an agent side of our platform. And how are we also doing that for our customers? Like, how do we kind of build that out and do that is really, really interesting. And then there's always really interesting new people joining the company that have a wide swath of experiences that I think were just fun to talk about. So. Very cool. Uh, so last few minutes, like what has been the most interesting thing that you've learned from your time at Invisible so far that's maybe very unique to Invisible that didn't, uh, that you didn't see at other companies? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the thing for me has definitely been really, um, it's definitely the AI side of like how, you know, how much it's kind of forced me to really kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit and get, you know, while I'm definitely not a technical user of that software, I am obviously like, you know, not I'm operations. I'm not a technical person in that sense. So, but it's allowed me to really see the impact of it, to learn kind of how these models are working a bit more at a layman's level, certainly. But I think that's been super, super interesting that I obviously haven't had exposure to at other companies on the operating side. And that's been a heck of a lot of fun. And then also to really think about, you know, this kind of mechanical breakdown of the processes we're running for our clients and how you can start to you know, break it down to a task level and start to, you know, plug in AI or understand where that could have an impact within these things, I think has been super interesting for me personally. Um, the other side too, is really just, you know, thinking in a different way about how do you build these kind of, you know, marketplaces for agents from the ground up, you know, certainly most of my experience has been in transportation marketplaces of one form or another, uh, which is, you know, very different than agents, certainly. Um, you know, I think there is some crossover, certainly with Lyft in terms of, you know, drivers, which have been a contractor for workforce and things like that. But I think wholly it's a very different type of relationship. And, you know, seeing and understanding that has been a heck of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That's simple. Okay. Well, how can people find out more about you and what you're working on? Maybe on LinkedIn or your email? Uh, yeah, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just, you know, my full name is Jean-Paul Biondi. And yep, I'm on there. Uh, obviously, there's my email, which is jp at invisible.email. That is it. So go for it. (laughs) Thanks, JP. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning into Plain Sight, presented by Invisible. If you liked what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button and consider sharing with your network. And if you're interested in learning more about how Invisible helps teams cut costs and scale, visit our website at invisible.co. See you next time.